The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And today we welcome John Bampton from Dirty Harry Minute. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. I think it's only fitting at the end of your podcast you finally have someone from the world's most you know, famous prison island, Australia. So <laughs> that time you got to meet. <laughs> It's totally proper, yes. And you're also on a podcast which is like old school masculine. So I feel like <laughs> there's some like synergy oh, yeah. there. Just saying. <laughs> Both our heroes have very um, masculine phallic guns that are quite impractical. I'll say that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a whole conversation right there. <laughs> yeah, thanks well, for having me on for the last minute of um, Donald President's Minute. Yes, yes. I tried that on you beforehand. Thank you for that bad joke. All jokes yeah, must go. He, he tried it on me, uh, not spoken, but by written, and I just uh, I, I, I uh, groaned. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> Coming to the end, guys. Coming to the end. Uh, yeah, and we're in minute 93, if you can believe that. Mm. And Yeah, minute 93 begins with Snake asking how the president feels about all the people who died, attempting to rescue him, and ends with a disgusted Snake and Hulk having a quiet smoke. Do you think think Snake would have made a good journalist if he hadn't gone into the army or started a life of crime? Wow, what a really novel thought. Uh, He just goes straight for the hard-hitting question. This is not a softball. Mm. No, what a great... uh, Man, I just like that totally recontextualized his character for me. Cause I can totally see him as like a grizzled war correspondent who lost his eye, you know, like <laughs> he just like had to be up in the shit, you know? And yeah, took a bullet or, you know, what have you, but yeah, this is definitely, huh? Yeah. Alternative just, life. Just the last, the last piece of his sentence. I just wondered how you felt about it. Sounded very Clint Eastwood to me. Mm-hmm. Like something in the line of fire or something like that, the delivery. Yeah. That's, well, and here's the thing about the question. If the president gives the answer Snake is looking for, mm. what happens in a couple of minutes of movie time, would that still happen? If he got an answer that he thought was a legitimate answer, does he then say, all right, you know what, here's the actual tape? Or would he, was he, you know, I, I, I feel like the whole tape switcheroo hinges on the president's answer to this question, right? Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I think he's pretty certain the president's going to respond the way he does and just blow him off. So he's just taken that for granted. He's just, it's almost a formality asking the president this question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I do appreciate that he's looking for verification, you know, I mean, he's, he's kind of has the whole world in his hands, so to speak. And I think also just for the, you know, sometimes you just need the emotional satisfaction like yeah. you're like ninety percent sure that someone's gonna is a dick, but you're like I just need to hear it. Like I need mm. you to give me like the hard like verification proof. I need to just confront you, and I just I need to have like the full answer. You know, exactly. sometimes you just need to hear stuff point blank. And the president, I mean, you know, 
he's when he gives his, you know, I want to thank you, you know, at, at the end of last minute when he's, you know, anything you want, you name it, which we were saying in yesterday's minute, you know, was almost certainly bullshit. And then even if it was sincere for that six seconds or whatever, it, it, it didn't last long. He goes right back to being himself like, oh, this nation appreciates the sacrifice. Oh, what's this on my eye? I have to, you know, remove this little thing here. Let me see how I look in the mirror here. So even if he was sincere for that very brief moment, it it did not take. Mm-mm. It's a lot of thoughts and prayers. It's that type of a yes, thing. very much so. Yeah, we've Are done f- a good done a good job. Incredibly enough, in such a, a politically charged movie, uh, Molly, and really not being political uh, on our show. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that, the, that is very much a thoughts and prayers response from this president. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over the course of this podcast, I've heard a lot of bad words spoken about this president. Um, <laughs> some, some reviewer called him, quote, a doughy lump, a weasel who deserves to die. <laughs> and some have even called him a weenie. <laughs> Someone has called him a weenie. I'm not quite, I mean, I just, that's a hot dog, right? Is that what a weenie is? Uh, <laughs> it, well, it's a hot dog, but in, in this, yes, but in this context, it's more of like a, um, it has multiple meanings. It's not just a hot dog. It's uh, just like a, I don't know, real dingus, which I don't <laughs> think that clears anything up at all. It just, uh, I don't know. I, I say weenie and people know what I mean. I'm trying to think about how I can, for someone that might not know what weenie is, how do you describe what a weenie is? I feel like it's taking... It's spineless, maybe? Yeah, it's very diminutive. So I think yeah. in the the it has a connotation of also stupidity. So it's calling into question one's IQ and lack of courage at the same time. We we were introduced to the the expression flip flopper in 2004, the election, uh, you know, George Bush for his second term, and that that word hadn't really that was quite an evocative word that has now entered our vocabulary. Oh, interesting. A, a weenie doesn't it doesn't encompass the idea of a flip flopper, does it? Just no. an indecisive person, like a reed that changes his mind in the wind. Nah. Nah. Because this president, I mean, he, he knows what he wants. Um, I don't think, to be fair to this president, you know, he's, let's let's unpack what he's, how his whole last week has been or his whole last two days. He's, he was on an international flight. He's crashed. He's had his finger chopped off. He's then had no sleep for the last 24 hours or intermittent, intermittent at best. You got, you know, Romero playing pinballs, presumably all through the night where he's trying to sleep when he's got the wig on. And, um... I don't know. He's. Uh, I don't know. I think someone should stick up for this president a little bit. It would. It, it's funny that it's taking a uh, a foreign person to stick up for the president <laughs> in this movie, a non-American. <laughs> oh well, I think I appreciate your empathy. You know that you're like, hey, he's been through a lot, and he's been, <clears throat> excuse me, he's been traumatized. So I, I appreciate that. You know, you're you're trying to pull. Yeah. And some compassion for him in this. To be fair, to be fair, Snake has too, and he can still see, he can still see what needs to be done and the important. You know, he sees through the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I think you're bringing up a really good point, though, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is a really traumatic event that he's been through, and sometimes when people go through traumatic events, they have insights, they change characters, i.e., Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Mm-hmm. But. Perhaps what you're bringing up in this moment is that he's checking to see, did he have some type of life-changing, personality-changing insight? Something 
deep and human and earth shattering? And the answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably discovered now he can probably get away with the budget asking, you know, can I have chandeliers on my car or on um, Air Force One? (laughs) Duke, Duke gets them. This guy's just the head of the, you know, of, of a little gang in the in the prison. I'm the president. Where where yeah. are my chandeliers? Where's where's exactly. my disco ball? Mm. <laughs> Did you guys notice? It, it was Donald Pleasance trying to shed his British accent here. Like to me, it just sounded maybe compared to other parts of the movie, he was trying to do a straight down the line general American accent. Did you? Does it still sound British to your ears? Uh, does it it sound- does. Yeah, it does. Uh, I I mean, I know that when he was cast, he was he was talking with John Carpenter to set up the character, and it was sort of like, you know, how are we going to do this? You know, a British president, this doesn't really make sense. And John Carpenter was basically like, eh, you know, don't worry about it. It's the future, basically. Um, but it, I, I could see him maybe trying to lessen it a little bit regardless. See, it plays a little bit differently in Australia because we're very Anglophone. Um you know, up until 30 years ago, newscasters had to do a faux British accent. You know, here's the news. Are you and I kidding suppose, me? What? No, really. Well, maybe I should expand that to 40 years ago. But And a lot of our prime ministers from the 70s beforehand sort of had affected British accent. It was just the perceived, you know, here is the voice of authority was a British accent. But it's always confusing for us because you watch things like Frasier in America and they have like a mid-Atlantic accent, accent don't they? Mm-hmm. They, is it like a faux British accent they're trying to have? You know, Fraser and everything. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? Yeah, Half it's, of course. Yeah, it's a it's a mm, posh East Coast accent, right? Yeah. I mean, there's still even you know today in America, I think there's still the the stereotype is if you hear someone in a British accent, you know, you tend to think of them as just like more refined. It's just it's just for some reason that's just uh, how Americans view it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. But in real life, if Donald Trump Trump spoke like Pleasance, you know, it, would it really fly in America to have an American president with, you know, without an American accent? No, no. <laughs> I mean, there are so certain what- American there are certain American accents that I think wouldn't fly. We've never had a president mm-hmm. with a really thick Southern accent, and I, you know, I don't really oh, Johnson think, maybe know. maybe Johnson a little uh, bit. Uh, that's uh, like Texas. Though, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about like the real thick, like, you know, well, we have to go downstairs to get the, you know, the corn and the cows. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I, oh, we have, we have uh, all, all our Southern listeners, and I know we have guests. Please don't. Like, Shit. Just for entertainment of the show. Walt, Mary. Alan, please don't be mad at us. Well, I mean, speaking of accents, like to my ears, predominantly living on the West Coast, um, you have a very New York accent to me. Yeah, really? and, and, and I, it's it's interesting because I'm I'm kind of middle of the road. I don't even have much of an accent as far as a lot of New Yorkers. Yeah, well, you also spend some time in the Midwest, so yeah, I can that's true. kind of see if that maybe, and which is interesting because my I was in the Midwest for ten years as a kid, but because I started out on the West coast, I feel like that kind of set up my West coast accent. And when I moved to the Midwest, all the kids were like, you have an accent, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. So I grew up in like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Fargo, but that was the area that um, I went to high school in. And so that accent's very mm-hmm. true to that area. So it's very interesting that we have 
regional American accents, you know, like there's a Chicago accent, there's like an upper Midwest accent, you know, and then there's like, you know, a very like, there's a Texas accent. There's, you know, the the slow Southern drawl that Eric was talking about a minute ago. So exotic so, yeah. to me. You know, we we are denied the regional varieties in Australian English because we're just literally what the white white folk anyway, two hundred years old. So there's maybe a city accent and you know, sort of a regional accent. But apart from that, if you're in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, you have the same sort of accent. Mm. Maybe one of class is the only distinguishing one. You know, it's interesting. Probably, I'm thinking. I don't know. Jimmy Carter, I guess, had a southern accent, right? Yeah, I guess but maybe that's the strongest southern accent we've had. Yeah, I think you're right, but we haven't had like. And, you know, I guess uh, George W. to a certain degree, is, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, kind of like a <laughs> upper class Houston accent. Yeah, but not he did, not that southern drawl, though, you know. No, no. So you don't foresee a time in which the American public could accept someone with a, a British accent. Like, why do you accept it for someone who reads The New Yorker or, you know, Frasier? That sort of authority, it's OK to ape an, Ameri- an English accent, but... For the high office, it's you know it would never be feasible that you get away with that. Well, I'm, I would I would just like you uh, delved into the Australian history there a second ago. I would say it comes from all the way back that we got our independence from the UK, and uh, it was specifically you know made out that the president must be uh, American-born citizen. They cannot have mm-hmm. a foreign-born person become president and we rebelled against that country uh and honestly i think that that's a national identity thing of you know that still carries over 250 years later yeah there's no way we would ever i mean we would have to have something incredibly magical happen to accept a british national or a british raised individual even somebody who's an american citizen who was raised in britain for a, a substantial period of time you know would never but, you know, I think we would maybe be able to take an Australian because there's this kind of like camaraderie I think the U.S. has with Australia, you know. Fair dinkum. That's awesome. That's sweet. So I think we would <laughs> accept somebody from New Zealand or Australia. Yeah, I think it's I think it's U.K. specifically is, yes. the, is the one accent that America would not accept. I, I could see, right, an American born. So you, you have the citizenship. But if you're raised in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, I don't think that that would be an issue. I think it's the U.K. specifically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Who who do you think the vice president is in this world? Who is Donald? Pr- who is his running mate? <laughs> Dan Quayle. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> wow. Well, the, the vice president does appear in the script. Um, he's he's at, it's in the script. It's not just the Secretary of State who's there with Hauk and Remy throughout the movie. It's like a whole bunch of cabinet people. Oh, so, really? Uh, Carpenter chopped all that out to have it be just the Secretary of State. Um. But, I, I mean, you're not really missing much. I mean, the vice president doesn't really, like, do much of anything except, you know, take some of the lines away from what the secretary of state had, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, much like most vice presidents, I think it doesn't matter. Maybe Brain was his um, his vice president and part of the <laughs> – maybe he would – maybe Brain would have better plans for survival at this summit than uh, Donald Pleasance. I love um, that. I think Brain would have made an amazing running mate. <laughs> uh, so, um, Remy – I like Remy's reaction here uh, after Snake gets his answer. He is very unimpressed with the answer he gets. He just chucks the cigarette, and Remy just sort of, you know, kind of looks down and this sort of, like, sad face and just, like, you know, you could see him internally sighing. And I feel like his reaction is to both the president and Snake. 
that he's sighing at the president's reaction because even he, a, 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 you know, a high-ranking official in the U.S. police force, is probably like, Ugh, that really was kind of a dick thing to say. And also sighing at Snake, just, you know, chucking his cigarette and walking away from the president. You know, I think he's just like, what, you know, what a fucking day this has been. I love Remy's reaction. It's like one of my favorite Remy moments. It's, it's like he... Like went to the bar with his girlfriend, and his girlfriend drank too much, and then like did some shit, and it's just like, <laughs> and she like walked out, and he's like, "Dude, so I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." <laughs> yeah, I agree. He knows. Yeah, he's just watching this this play out the way he knew it was going to go. That the 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 president's just a narcissist, not caring about anything ultimately, and that Snake's just going to be total totally cynical about everything, and it's just a great focus pull in into him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. And with the cigarette throw, um, John Carpenter wanted him to actually flick the cigarette directly at the president and actually hit yeah. him with the cigarette. And Kurt Russell refused to do it. So they came up with a compromise with what we actually see on screen where he just sort of kind of chucks it away. <laughs> yeah, so say what you will about fascist states, but it seems that cigarettes are pretty affordable if even someone like Snake can just flick them away half-smoked dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> One thing they did get right in this movie was, I remember when, uh, at the start of the movie, there's a whole lot of no smoking signs. So they certainly predicted that um, for our current, you know, how smoking's gone, the way the dodo in public space is now. One of the mm-hmm. things they did get right was that. One thing they didn't get right was how um, how the fact that the president's plane has been down for 24 hours, just it's covered up, you know, no one knows. Russia and China evidently don't know, or it doesn't seem that they know. And um, in today's day of social media, I'm sure the, you know, they would have, yeah, that would have been revealed to the world at large somehow via tweet or something. Yeah, I agree. Well, now I feel like there would be spies or some level of espionage and somebody be squealing somewhere. There's a lot of men behind the president. Um, a lot of men you think could at least be checking the tape or, you know, just having a quick listen to it to see if it's broadcastable. <laughs> <laughs> and I i'm sure they will be just caught up in the excitement of the moment <laughs> there's a lot of mustaches here i'm kind of looking at uh second 15 and there's three dudes with with mustaches you know that was kind of like the yeah the the standard back in the day before things were ironic it was just a just a normal fashion choice back in the early 80s yeah, I'm yeah a- as as a as a goateed person I would never have just a mustache. <laughs> Gotta have the chin coverage too. There's no way I would do that. Because it's pervy alone. <laughs> I'm sorry, John, if you have a mustache. If that's uh, I have in my history, but now I'm just a full bearded man. But, um, I like the guy in the back, the tall looking dude. You know, I like to think in my heart of hearts that it's Christopher Lee. Mm, uh, yes. yes. Much Christopher Lee thing. Yeah. Ian McKellen, Christopher Lee looks like a yeah, tall British dude kind of. Yeah. Is the guy on the right dabbing Donald Pleasance with tofu or <laughs> sanitary napkin? Is, no, I know exactly what that is because I had oh. to use it when I was in high school drama. Um, that is uh, a, a makeup thing to like, he's probably applying uh, a slight base on his face uh, to uh, to prevent glare uh, when the lights turn on on the camera. Yeah, it could also be covering up some of his bruises. Yeah, too. Poss- right. He could be using makeup to cover the bruises also. Yeah, he's got something in his left hand, a little jar of something uh, mm. that most likely, uh, yeah, is something that's has some kind of color to it to cover cover up bruises and or prevent the glare from the camera. Now, I'm a balding man. I'm not quite there yet to go full Peter Garrett, but he's been away for a full day. <laughs> I'm sure they're about to shave his head, right? Or wouldn't they? To get rid of I, some I, of that? I, 
I don't. I mean, I only see the shaving cream on the face. I mean, I do they have? That sounds like you know. Time is you know just because Snake's life has been saved, the clock is still ticking on that summit. I don't think we have time for a full head shave here. You know, I mean, the camera's (laughs) not pointing at the top of his head anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Time is ticking. How important do you think it is in American history that anything was um, vital? happening in connecticut what was connecticut's <laughs> reputation <laughs> i only know it from babysitter's club book you know they lived in upstate connecticut well is your implication that this scene is taking place in connecticut oh sorry isn't that where the summit is isn't that where oh the summit well, is not- yeah oh oh yeah. I, I thought you meant where the president was right now oh the summit oh. itself yeah yes the hartford yeah. summit right yes um, what's taking place in connecticut? well they have a couple of really cool casinos there um <laughs> And uh, you drive through it to get from New York to Boston, uh, and uh, there's like some uh, like shipping and uh, fishery type industry there along the uh, Long Island Sound and Atlantic Ocean. All right. Uh, yeah. No, not too much has happened to Connecticut. I, oh, great. Now I've insulted the entire South and the state of Connecticut here in one show. <laughs> well, I wonder if Carpenter had any any family there or anything, or I don't know. I just love saying the word, connect. it's spelled Connecticut, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But this scene is on Liberty Island. Yes, we're back on Liberty Island. In fact, we're back in the, as far as shooting locations go, we're back where we were at the beginning of the movie at the Sepulveda Dam uh, in California again. You guys been there? You checked it out? Uh, not I. I'm, I don't know, Molly. You ever been down there? No. Um. I mean, I lived in Los Angeles, but I didn't go to the the dam for any reason. You can hear crickets in the background. Um, yeah. Would there be crickets really on Liberty Island? Sure, I think so. Yeah. Um, there's 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 grassy area there. Fair enough. I've not been. Um. There's also vague sound of traffic that you wouldn't get. That sort of. Mm. No, not in real life. You definitely would not. Um, as far as what the location is supposed to represent, though, with it being like the home base of the yeah. U.S. police force, uh, you know, it's meant to represent all the jeeps and everything driving around. Um, and we get um, Snake walks away from the president, and uh, we'll delve into this um Next week, uh, because they don't actually say anything here, but at the end of the minute, we do get Snake stopping, Hauk regarding Snake, uh, and I really like, every once in a while, I really like the way um, the movie, uh, the, 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 the minutes clip up. And the way that a minute ends and, and leaves you waiting for the next minute to wait when, mm. when we do this by minute show. I really love the ending of this specific minute with the two of them just standing there silently, Snake not even looking at Hauk, but you know, regarding him without looking at him and the viewer watching this movie for the first time wondering, ooh, what's going to happen here? Okay, he saved the president. The yeah. president's still a dick. This is obviously <laughs> the end of the movie. What's going to happen between these two guys now here at the end of this movie? This is, mm-hmm. I really like how this minute ends like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just love the, I just love Hulk just kind of leaning up against the building having a smoke. You know, like I, I, I like the respective moments of these characters as we're gaining a resolution to this whole thing, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I still really I know smoking is um, it's a health hazard. But, you know, in, in this context, there is still something kind of like cool about how Kevin a smoke, you know, like there's a little bit of bad boy to that. And I, you know, just <laughs> you've just seen all those no smoking signs. So. Yeah. Hey, he's the warden. He could do whatever the hell he wants. It's true. And it's probably the first scene. Well, I mean, I know we've had a few more, but for the most part, Remy's been the guy who's been chain smoking and running around. (laughs) Yes. And of course, it's been raining. Yes. Yes. The the slick, slick ground. (laughs) (laughs) Was it raining a few minutes ago? 
Can't remember. Um, it never rained at any point during the movie, but uh, John Carpenter likes those grounds being wet for the way it looks on camera. Is um is New York all the boroughs set up so it can definitely rain or drizzle in one part, like on uh, in Brooklyn and not rain in the Bronx? That sort of can happen. Absolutely, it happens all the all time. Right. Yep. Good, you did the requisite research, Mister Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, oh, I. But- I yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, by the way, I've, I've listened to a few uh, comedy podcasts recently, and people have been making fun. Sorry, I know you're treading lightly on what parts of America you make fun of, but they were saying Staten Island <laughs> has a bit of a reputation for maybe being like this movie and that there's a lot of people under witness protection or <laughs> low-level criminals and so far. So, yeah. Uh, is that... No. Um, I mean, oh. it, no no to that part. It is, okay. of the five boroughs that make up New York City, it definitely is a bit of an outlier. Um, there have been every once in every few years, some some person comes out and says, Stein Island's going to secede from the city, become their own city. <laughs> and, and the rest of the city always goes, okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's not... It's, <laughs> It's not even like a thing of don't caring. It's just like it's ambivalence. It's like oh oh all right you would okay go ahead whatever. Um, it's now that I'm adding Staten Island to my insult list of the minute. <laughs> no, no, I do that. Cheat uh, that back to me. Uh, yeah, yes, that's true. Yes, everyone. I Say it was John. that Drongo in Australia. It was John. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, I don't know what I mean. The I don't think that it has any higher uh, level of low level criminals than the rest of the city. And a lot of police officers and firefighters live on Staten Island. But uh, is there a lot of witness relocation there? I suppose you wouldn't know. I wouldn't but, know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, that's interesting because I wouldn't think – I mean, I guess you could send people anywhere. But I think if you were going to do some wit- like witness relocation, I don't know that I would send them to Staten Island. You know, I would, like, send them to, like, Arizona or something. Yeah. You know, like, make it hard to get to. You know, like really anonymize it. I don't know, just because New York is like, you know, incredibly high profile to hide somebody. Where um, where does uh, Steve Martin's character relocate to in My Blue Heaven? Isn't oh, that like some, shit. Like, Mexico or something? Binky oh. town somewhere, right? Is it Nebraska? Is it Nebraska? Damn, now I gotta look that up. I know. So I'm, I'm, I was trying to do it, and, and I and I Google's didn't give me the answer right away so i was hoping someone knew oh it says here the california town of freiburg which i'm sure uh probably doesn't really exist but wow well it's a very appropriate name isn't it freiburg like free free town free mountain you know you can free to create a new life (laughs) guys i had some recast arama options Mm. has anyone flown would you could you see this movie with Michael Douglas instead of uh, Kurt Russell? Ooh, yes. From that time of his career, sure. Yeah. All right, or, good. Or uh, I could see uh, Charlie Sheen, uh, not Charlie Sheen, Martin Sheen from that time also. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. And Remy could have been Tom Skerritt, I think. Oh, easily. Sure, yeah. Easily, yeah. Great mustache. And Hulk, Um, I'd go a different route, I reckon. Larry David. Casting. <laughs> the way I see him leaning up against the wall. Pretty, oh, no. pretty good job, Snake. Pretty. Oh my <laughs> god, that's amazing. <laughs> I'll never see this the same again. <laughs> oh my god. Well, you know, we've asked actually many of our guests about this, and of course, Eric and I are of a certain opinion. Uh, I'm curious, how would you 
describe the genre of this movie. Now, it's typically classified as science fiction, but people have been rather polarized about their opinions on it. What do you think? I think it's I think the great advantage of this movie is it's genre defying. I don't see it so much as science fiction. I'm prepared to accept more the designation of it being a western. Particularly in this minute I'm thinking that they're back finally. They've been out and now they're back in the Alamo, you know? Mm. That's how I tend to see it. Do you guys think is there any are there any horror elements to this movie? Cuz yes. I don't think there Absolutely. are. There are. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's there's the decapitated head on the on the stick when they drive down Broadway. Mm-hmm. I, to me, that's a horror element. Um, so. I think that when the crazies first come out of the sewers and Snake's all alone and he doesn't know what's going on and he's not, I, I think there's a horror element. There's definitely when they pull Shock Full of Nuts Girl down into the floor, that is definitely a horror element. Yeah. Yeah. But don't you see those crazies more as like your titular, you know, unknown hordes, like a. Like Indians, American Indians, or something in a Western, you could see it like that, just anonymous mm. force of unease. But I suppose that plays for a horror movie too. Just to... yeah, yeah. But I mean, also because they're so nuts, you could and, and playing off the horde idea, you could also view them almost as like a horde of zombies, even of just you know, right, mindless, just coming for you, and, and you don't know why, and there's no reasoning with them. The great thing about this movie is, whatever world it creates, it creates it so well. And they do such a good time at the start of the movie setting it up that it's just there's a great atmosphere here of world building. Um, yeah, it's just fantastic. I, I more like to see it as a western, but um, do you guys see it as a science fiction movie in particular? No. Um, the phrase mm-hmm. I came up with was dystopian speculative fiction. I, I right. just not you know other than a couple of small things. There's really nothing in this movie that says sci-fi to me just because it takes place 17 years in the future from when it was made to me, just being set in the future does not by definition make something science fiction. You know, there's gotta be some other element to it. There's gotta be aliens. There's gotta be robotics, you know, new technologies, something like that. And just, you know, this movie does not have that. Yeah. I think this is a, in a lot of ways. And because this came out, virtually at the same time as as Mad Max, I really see this as an American response to that same sort of like collective unconscious of of societal collapse. And I feel like this is the American answer to Mad Max being an Australian one to that. Karaki. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course Mel Gibson and Kurt Russell would go on to start together in Tango and Cash. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Going, going back to my earlier observation that, you know, Australia is the most famous, more famous than this little movie, the most famous prison <laughs> island in history, I was thinking you could sort of see Cabby as uh, like the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin, because he's, no, like, you know, he's, he's like sort of showing um, his guest tourist uh, snake plisking around like, Crocky, look at this one. He's called the Duke. you got to see the Duke. Look what he's like, you know, in his burrow. And, yeah, sort of see Cabby as a uh, Steve Irwin type. That's funny. <laughs> Damn it, it was not Tango and Cash that was Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. As soon as I said that, I said, I think I made a mistake. Uh, it was um, Tequila Sunrise. Oh. Tango and Cash, of course, was Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. Ah. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, yeah, but it's either. always That's why on. I made a mistake. Yeah. Always on TV. In fact, both of them, I think, yeah. Mm. Bird on a Wire as well. Yuck. Yep. Yuck, 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 yuck. Well, you might have a different <laughs> opinion. <laughs> no, it's it's not. Yeah. I don't even think I've seen Bird on a Wire. Did anyone make um did anyone make a joke in the previous minute on the bridge about the Paul Simon 
song, you know, 69th Street Feeling Groovy? <laughs> no. Oh, I got that minute. I was going to make that joke. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it's called. Feeling groovy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I always like to, uh, when I can, squeeze in a, a question that ties in our guest's movie with ours. And so here's oh. the one I'm going to throw at you, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if Scorpio had ended up in Manhattan prison in this world, how do you think he would have fared? You think he would have lasted or you think he wouldn't have lasted too long? <laughs> I don't think he would have lasted long at all. Um, yeah. I don't think he'd lasted <laughs> at all. Yeah. I don't know. I can't imagine they put up with his his tantrums and his, his sing-alongs for very long. And um, I don't think any – plus it's a situation where you can't really kidnap anyone. <laughs> you think for ransom? Like who's going to pay ransom and what would he demand from them? Yeah. <laughs> now he wouldn't last a long time at all. All right, anyone got anything else for this minute? Not really. I'm just I'm a big fan of Donald Pleasance as a kid. I you know, I first saw him in The Great Escape. Mm-hmm. And uh, he puts in a really good performance there. I hadn't really seen Halloween until my late um, adulthood, so he's great in that, of course. Um and if you have a chance to see the Polanski film Cul-de-sac, um might be a nice companion piece to this because mm. um from memory, it's a long time since I've seen it, but he's he's taken hostage as well. I think on some sort of island or something in in Scotland, and um, I think he forces he's forced to wear a wig in that one. So that's <laughs> <laughs> and just looking at him now in IMDb, he's been in like four movies with an escape in the title. Have you seen that? The Great Escape, Escape from New York, Escape to Witch Mountain. Yeah, so there you go, three yeah. movies. And of course, he's in Fantastic Voyage, that little right. funny movie where he's ultimately they're trying to escape from the body before it. Um, before they become giants again. Right. So, yeah, Donald Pleasance. I think he puts in a really good performance um, in most of his movies. But, yeah. Are you guys happy with happy with his performance in this movie as we come to the end? Oh, love him. Absolutely. Mm, good. And you? You enjoy him as the as the president? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it when he's, um, he, yeah, when he finally shoots the Duke. Hey, number one! <laughs> <laughs> Which sort of parallels to my movie. There's a scene where Scorpio's like, um, he's got our two heroes, Chico and Harry, pinned down on a rooftop, and he's maniacally shooting a, a, a lamp. Going, Jesus saves. Um, <laughs> kind of reminded me of of that. Yeah, I think he's really good. Hmm. Cool. All right, cool. John, uh, let everyone know where they can listen to Dirty Harry Minute. Uh, Dirty Harry Minute, you can find it on all your great um, sites, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, I think. We are like you wrapping up very soon. Um, that's, yeah, that's about it. So go to Dirty Harry Minute if you want to send us a line. All right, awesome, John. Thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, if people want to drop us a line, do it on Facebook in Brains Library. That's the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. Or send us a tweet on Twitter, NY Minute Pod. Uh, and uh, give us some nice ratings and reviews. Uh, if, uh, as long as you don't live in Connecticut, anywhere in the South, <laughs> or Staten Island, Staten Island. then just, you, you can skip the review, I guess. Uh, and so until next time, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. <laughs>